Cross Politic begins in three, two, one. Hey! Hey, y'all, welcome to Cross Politic. Uh, uh, what? Let them relax and get comfortable. This show requires some Johnny Walker Red. You wait, guys got to sit wait, back, wait, wait, wait. get get going. You guys don't know ready. what you're in store for, and Gabe's all excited. I'm trying to relax you. Buckle your seatbelts. I'm trying to calm you down. We got Jonathan Merritt coming on the show today. It was um, go, he, got, he got a book called go. Learning to Speak God from Scratch, and we're still figuring out what he meant by that. You know, so here's, here's okay, real quick. I, I wanted to say this, and obviously you'll get a chance to see. I didn't get a chance to say much. But, wait, wait a but second. What, what you I really, you what, pulled the black card. I did, every time I get a chance. Minority? Every, every time I minority? get a chance. Minority? That's the only thing that causes white guilt so I can speak. <laughs> well, anyways, guys, thank you for joining us. Make sure you share the show. Thank you for tuning in. Like it. Um, get some Advil. Is, get some aspirin. I don't know if you're going to get smart. You're yeah. probably going to lose 10% of your IQ after this show Grab is done. Grab your children. Hold them close to you on the couch. This kiss is the, them. Hug them. This hold is them the apocalypse. Tight. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you. All right. Uh, okay. We're, we're going to talk to John the Mayor about two things. His book, Speaking God from Scratch, and Women in Eldership. Church oh, leadership. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Here, ouch. Here we go. Ouch. Jonathan Merritt. He's an award-winning writer on religion, culture, and politics. He currently serves as a contributing writer for The Atlantic. He's also a contributing editor for The Week. He's published more than 3,500 articles in respected outlets such as the New York Times, USA Today, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed, The Washington Post, Christianity Today. Uh, He's been interviewed by ABC World News, NPR, CNN, PBS, probably. (laughs) 60 Minutes. He is the author of a brand new book, Learning to Speak God from Scratch, Why Sacred Words Are Vanishing and How We Can Revive Them. And we are very grateful to have Jonathan with us today. Thanks, Jonathan, for joining us on CrossPolitik. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. So um, we actually reached out to you initially because of some some tweets you made back re- in June regarding yeah. uh, women in, in church leadership. And we're old school, stodgy, reformed Presbyterians, mm-hmm. probably drinking scotch right now. Who knows? Yep. Um, and so, you know, we take First Timothy 2 and, you know, these passages like all the way to the bank all day long. And so we were like, hey, let's 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 sit down and talk with Mr. Jonathan. So you pretty much know our position. So we're going to we're <laughs> going to come at you with that. But and, and, and we're really grateful that you, you know, you're willing to come on at the same time. Uh, you got this new book out, Learning to Speak God from Scratch. And so we want to start off talking a little bit about that book. And we actually think we're pretty sure that. Uh, it's going to all connect, uh, basically, and probably come out in the wash. So uh, maybe we're coming at you twice. But um, uh, hopefully you hear uh, the joy in our voices, and um, hopefully we can uh, do a little iron sharpening during the next 40 minutes. So um, thanks very much. And I want to kick things off. I, I've been looking at your book. I've, I've got this... Uh, pre-published copy. Yeah, pre-pub yeah. copy here. And, um, and i got to say, right off the bat... Um, Man, I started getting nervous, um, and and so I'm just going to read a short paragraph, and and then I'm going to ask you the question, and hopefully you can alleviate my nerves. So, um, this is in Sacred Words in Crisis, um, which is I think the first chapter. Yeah, and it says I have friends who say that the most loving thing they can do is tell their lost friends that they're going to hell. The use of their words defines a meaning I cannot accept. Love is drained of compassion and forged into a machete and lost 
no longer describes the inability of all humans to find our way forward on our own. Their words separate a lesser them from a better us. And, and immediately what comes to mind, though, is Jesus' words in the gospel where he says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Um, or in, in similar language like that, where he says, you know, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. Um, so how do we learn to speak God and, and, and echo the language of Jesus there using lost of people who really are lost and going to hell? Mm. If you say that doesn't uh, uh, accord with your understanding of the meaning of the word love. Yeah, I, uh, well, there's, uh, thanks for the, that's a good question. In fact, I have a whole chapter uh, devoted to the word loss that attempts to exegete Jesus's most robust teaching on lostness, which comes in a, a trinity of parables. Uh, yeah. He talks about a, a lost coin and a lost son mm-hmm. and a lost sheep. And so I talk about it there a bit. Sure. Where the way that Jesus seems to be using lostness uh, is not is not in a way that divides an us uh, from a them necessarily. So when you read that that uh, that section of parables, it seems that uh, what Jesus is saying is that oftentimes it's the people who think they are found that end up being the ones who are lost. Here's a great example. If you think about uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Right. What you realize at the end was that the one who was with the pigs wasn't the one ultimately who was lost at all. Who stayed lost. It was lost. the one who never left the house. It was the one, the, the son who said, I've done everything that you've said. Uh, and when Jesus says, you know, he's come to seek and save that which was lost, I think we also have to square that uh, with where Jesus uses his toughest barbs and criticisms, which is not for what we would call sinners or non-believers, but for people who were among the most righteous. Wait, wait. So oh, hold on. That's actually helpful. But um, I'm, I'm I just want to go back to what you just said a minute ago. So the son that took his father's inheritance and squandered it in riotous living and ends up in the pig pen, you're saying he wasn't really lost? Yeah, what we find in that story, and it's actually sort of a, there's a great uh, s- a Jewish scholar or who teaches at Vanderbilt School of Theology that writes about this, that Jesus sort of has this uh, storytelling trick. Uh, essentially, what Jesus does is, is he says, well, there's this item that was lost in this one story, and then there's an item that was lost in the second story, and then there's another item, which is a son that's lost in the third story. And so all the all, all of the listeners there are sort of thinking, oh, the son's lost. That's the problem. The son's lost, and now the son's found. Just like the coin was lost, and the coin was found. And just like uh, the sheep was lost, and then the sheep was found. But Jesus has this sort of sleight of hand in that story because he adds something at the end. He tacks sure. something on. He tacks on the, the older brother. And then you start to realize where the real problem in the story was, it was the one who never left home. But wasn't it, wasn't so in both that story, the... that story, there's a critique, right? So, so you get like religious folks, even good Presbyterians. Sure. Watch it, watch hey, it. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> who loves stories about sheep and, sheep and coins, 
but they get a little shaky when you start talking about older brothers. Well, I'm, I'm, my problem is actually both of them were sure. lost. Yes, yeah, in the I, parable. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. The point that they he adds a little twist at the end and, yeah. and says, "Watch out." Presbyterians, like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm cool with that. I'm cool. I'm cool with that. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not getting. I mean, I think that doesn't then mean though that the prodigal, you know, the 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 the, the younger son who goes out and squanders his living, um, he was totally lost though. And he did have to come home. home. Yeah. I, and I don't, I don't know how you get. You, you can't tell that story and, and say, well, actually, he's not really lost. He, no, he was, he was full on lost. Yeah. The critique, and uh, Amy Jill Levine writes, and I'll read from the book, she says, the father is convinced that the younger, the prodigal, is the one who is lost, and in many respects he is correct. However, we find out at the end of the parable that the son who is in fact lost is the elder. The owner spots the missing sheep among the hundred, and the woman spots the missing coin among the ten. The father, with only two sons, was unable to count correctly. And I think that was, that's fascinating. Of course, it's a different way of reading uh, those, those parables. And what I'm uh -huh. not doing in this book, I don't write at any length about, you know, whether hell exists or who goes there or anything like that in what you read in the beginning of the, of the book. Is, is merely that we don't often think about the way that we use our words and the impact that that has on other, on other individuals. So sure. I think folks will read this. What, they, what, what I'm trying to say here is not that lostness doesn't include spiritual lostness. I think that's a totally legitimate expression of lostness. Uh, but what I, what I try to do with that word is to, is to sort of level the playing field and help us to see ways in which we ourselves are also are also lost. So what those about, of us who claim to be Jesus followers. So, so what if we do like? So let's take Jesus' words to 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 uh, to religious people. We're learning to speak God. And and he so in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, he he's talking to Jews, people who know the law, and he says, "I tell you the truth, you know, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery." So I mean, he's talking to religious people who care about the law, care about adultery, and he says, "You've committed adultery if you've lusted after in your heart." And, he's, and he goes further, and he says, um, "If your eye causes you to sin." Pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to end up in uh, in eternal life, missing an eye, missing a hand, than to end up in hell with both your hands, both your eyes. Um, how do we learn to speak God? How do we learn to speak that kind of Jesus language in our in our modern culture, yeah. where yeah. Jesus is talking about plucking out eyes, cutting off hands, so you don't end up in hell? Yeah. Well, I think that the first the, the first thing that you have to do, and this is I talk about this in the book, we've sort of fast forwarded. Well, we first bring up an issue I don't I don't address in the book, but what I talk about is is uh, the way that language works, and I start with the problem of language. So the dominant way of talking of speaking God in America is sort of the way you speak God, and unfortunately, it's just not working. Only 13% of practicing Christians now say they're confident enough to do it. Only 7% of Americans, despite widespread religiosity, say they can do it. The number one answer that they, they give is that these things are tense. They, they cause arguments. Many people say they've been hurt by these words, that these words have had all the grace drained out of them, and now they've become uh, sources of pain. So they've been, they've so been hurt by at, Christ's at, at words? Very first, at very first, you'd say at a pragmatic level, if we continue to speak God the way that Americans have always spoken God, 
then sacred speech, it appears, will die. But I'm, but I'm asking about the way Jesus speaks. I mean, Jesus is talking to religious people, religious Jews, and he says, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, or you'll end up in hell. That's, just, that's the way Jesus well, is talking. You, but see, but you, you've done something really interesting there. Because you've, you've taken, you're asking me a question about the way we should speak to, quote, lost people. And then you take Jesus' words to, quote, religious people. Sure. And I think if we actually had religious people speaking to religious people with that level of harshness, uh, we wouldn't have to have all these, these uh, conversations about how we could uh, condemn, quote, lost people even harder than we already do. Well, Jesus did that, too. I mean, he condemned the lady by, I mean, he's, he's calling her a dog. Sitting at the table, eating breadcrumbs. Are the dogs right. well, also able to eat the breadcrumbs? Of course, you bring you bring up you bring up there uh, one of the most controversial uh, statements in all of the Bible. Right, uh, he was making a racist Testament, statement, certainly. basically. So, what you wouldn't do, what you wouldn't do, if you want to do responsible hermeneutics, you wouldn't take the outlier of Jesus' speech and say, "See what he did there? That's how Jesus always talked." Right. So, but actually, I'm, not, part, I'm not arguing that. But, well, part of my point, though, right? John, but if you look at Jesus's rhetoric, overwhelmingly, his barbs, he's not going around calling lost people dogs. We do have one uh, reference to that in the New Testament, but to take the exception and pretend it's the rule is just doing hermeneutics in a way that's really irresponsible. No, what I'm doing but, but, is what I'm doing is is I'm taking God's speech and language to us in the scriptures that he's given us and trying to figure out how to apply it now, which means I want to take all of Christ's words and not just half of Christ's words or three quarters of Christ's words. Yeah, but and here's the thing. Right, but, but that's like saying but that's like saying, see there Jesus said, he said, Hate your mother and father. So what do you do with that? Jesus is anti family. And I would say, Yeah, Yes, uh, and I get the like, you know, we pull out the cliches and the whole counsel of God and the word of God and the inspiration, all those things. Well, but the question is, let's figure out how to apply it. It's irresponsible hermeneutics to take a verse out and say, look, gotcha. See what Jesus said here. He called the woman sure. a dog. Sure. When I'm really trying to pull from the entire text and show you. Actually, the way that Jesus talked is sort of overwhelmingly in one direction and just pulling out the exception. That scholars, you go to any evangelical seminary, they'll have a hard time agreeing on what that even means. Is not really responsible way to handle the text. But and that's but that's actually why I went to talking to religious leaders. So you you pointed out that there's a difference between people who are lost and people who are in the church. So I'm trying to I'm trying to you know uh, do do you the kindness of okay, let's bring it back. Let's talk about who does Jesus use most of his barbs for, most of his sharpest language for. And you're right, it's actually aimed at religious people, religious scholars, religious religious leaders, pastors. Lawyers. Past, you know, priests, yeah. le- lawyers, Pharisees, and so forth, and that's why I use the example of pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, so you don't go to hell. Um, right. So then, so then the question there would be to you and to your co-hosts, who are religious people, what are the eyes you need to pluck out, and what are the hands you amen. need to cut off? Amen. Right. Yeah. We're not talking about that. We're, what we do, what what I think you're doing is, is you're using the scripture there in reverse, where the scripture there is intending to be a mirror, and you're using it as a window. And when you try to do that, you're, no, just no. Not, you're just not using the text in a way that's very helpful. Actually, we spend most of the time on our person, show going after. If you're a religious person, the question is, in what ways are you lost? Uh, right. In what yeah, ways sure. do you have something in your life that needs to be excised? Okay, and well, I think that's a helpful way to speak God. Can, can the minority get a chance to speak for a second? <laughs> This is how David gets a, gets attention. White like, people, white people be fighting. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, so 
All right, come on. So, Jay, can I can I call you Jay? We've been best friends for what, like seven minutes now. <laughs> okay, yeah, so. you can call me. I've been called much worse. No <laughs> Not by me. I won't do that. But let me ask you a question because I'm a little confused right now. So, um, I picked up your book. It seems like you want to talk to people to uh, who are Christians how to speak God so they can communicate better to seculars, people who are not Christian, right? Unbelieving world. Uh, unbelieving yeah. world. And you use an example of your, your when you went to New York, you were talking to a lady, she was a Buddhist, and you guys were talking right past each other. Um, so, and and then um, I totally understand what Toby's saying. I'm getting it, and I'm trying to figure out, like, why wouldn't that be acceptable? But here's my question. Give me an example, then, how you would witness to Donald Trump. I mean, he's a racist, he's anti-gay, he's homophobic, <laughs> he's immoral in every way. Uh, he, he hates the poor. He hates illegal immigrants. How would you witness to him about the gospel of Jesus Christ so he can be saved from his sins and have propitiation? How would you speak God to that situation? Well, so what what we just said there, because you just used a word like gospel, you used the word sin, you used the word propitiation, which is a big, fat, religious word. I love those um, words. So, <laughs> so if, you, if you encounter someone like a Donald Trump, and you say, now how do I communicate? I need to tell him he needs the gospel, that he has sin in his life, that he needs the propitiation of God through, et cetera, et cetera. There's an assumption that that person understands what you mean when you use that word. Well, Trump would say what? he's a Christian. So there, I think that's a good assumption with Trump. Right. So whether it's a whether whether the person whether the person is a Christian or a non-Christian, what we find is is that people do not actually anymore in a postmodern pluralistic world they no longer do understand what you mean and so what you have right. to do i think is is you have to take another step back you have to begin you know the, the the communicating the truth always begins with the definition in terms so you have to begin by saying what you mean by sin what you mean by gospel what you mean by sacrifice what you mean by salvation because it will mean something different to a, certainly to a person I think like Donald Trump than it would mean to to a person like you right. or me. So I think what happens is is we end up when we when we're when believers are conversing with non-believers, we end up using a bunch of words and then wondering why the person either a doesn't understand what we're saying or b isn't convinced by what we're saying. But the reason is is because we've never had the conversation before the conversation. Okay, so so I, I get that, but Jay, listen, Jay is the president. Okay, uh, <laughs> that was a horrible. Do, uh, I, I, I know, I know, so I know, I know. It's, it's, it's my best white guy. Um, so, <laughs> but you still didn't answer my question. Does How, Donald Trump need to be saved or not? Does he need to become a Christian or not? And if it, he does, let's just role play. I'm Donald. I'm Donald Trump, <laughs> the president of the United States. How would you explain sin and propitiation to Donald Trump? Well, I, I, you know, the book, this is not a book about evangelism per se, no, it's about which, speaking God, which is where we're going with this. But uh, I would say, first of all, let's let's take someone. Let's not take Donald Trump. No. Sort of oh, come on. Come on. Come on. He's Listen, he has I, all, the, all the things. He's a racist. He's a bigot. He's he's anti-gay. He's immoral in so many different ways. I mean, he hates everybody. He has all it, the evil things we love or hate about stuff. He has all those comp in, in one person. He should like be easy to speak God to. <laughs> right. I, I, I think that, I think that if I were going to have a conversation with someone with, who has all the qualities that he has, and I had access to that person, uh, the first question would be whether they were willing to engage in a conversation about spiritual things. I'm willing. I'm I don't willing, think, Jay. I don't think I'm that willing. the goal of a Christian <laughs> is to, 
is to essentially assault someone with religious language. Jay, I'm over your house having dinner. I'm over your house having dinner. I want to be here. Give it to me, buddy. So if you come over to my house and you're interested in that, I think what I would begin with is is a series of questions about some of the key terms, the key terms in 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 the language of God that that would I I if you were going to talk about how do I get to heaven, Jay? How do I get to heaven? Right. I would say, well, the, so you're, you're already using a, you're already using right there a word, heaven. And you don't a lot believe of in heaven? Differ in the way that they understand that. Word. You you don't believe in heaven, Jay? <laughs> well, I. I Jay, is there a hell? I am not even sure. I am honestly not even sure where this conversation is going. No, I, I think, I'm I'm trying to figure uh, out think, what do you believe. I mean, if if you're telling me I need to learn to speak God. I need to learn to speak God so I can communicate the beauties of who Jesus Christ is to someone else. Yeah. And I'm asking you, someone who is not a Christian, if I'm if, if your book is to somebody like me who's illiterate, I'm asking you to show me how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you speak God? Yeah. I'll, well, so I'll walk you through kind of what it means, what it means to speak God from scratch, or at least as I understand it. Yeah. So the first the first piece is the problem, which is some of the data that I mentioned. Uh, one sacred words themselves have been in massive decline since at least the the last 50 years or more uh so we've seen that thanks to google ingram data so words like heaven words like certainly words like propitiation uh are words that work when you get together a bunch of religious folk who come from the same traditions but they don't really work in the uh, in the actual in in, in Jay, secular no, I, so but okay i get it but would you say that donald trump needs propitiation would I say that he needs propitiation? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm. Well, let me. Can I go back and answer maybe mm. your first question? Because we, we haven't. I just want you to answer well, one of them. <laughs> go ahead. What we haven't established, like we, you know, there's a great quote by Billy Wilder that says, "If you have a problem in the third act, your problem is really in the first act." What I think is happening is that you're the questions that you're asking. Uh, they're third act questions, and so we haven't even established how it works. We haven't had a conversation about that. No, I, I get so jumping I, right I, out of the gate, jumping right out of the gate, and having having some sort of debate about what propitiation is, which is not something I tend to not try to answer questions about things that it's not a part of what I've written in look, this book. Yeah, but you said I think what we have to do is start with what it actually means to speak God. So if you've read my book, maybe you would like to tell me what speaking God from scratch is because from this <laughs> conversation, <laughs> I'm not sure that any of you actually understand what I've Well, here, here Jonathan, let me, let me No, you might be right about the understanding what you read. Yeah, it doesn't mean we haven't read it. But we're trying <laughs> we're, we're trying to understand. So for example, in your chapter on the way forward, um you you walk through three steps that you see as essential for um, God speakers to understand. So you have orientation, disorientation, reorientation. You have packing, unpacking, repacking, order, disorder, reorder. It has to do with understanding how the word was understood in its original context, its original meaning, understanding the ways in which the word has been distorted, misunderstood, maybe used to harm people. And then you say we need to reimagine better and truer ways of understanding holy terms. Uh, So far, so good, right? Uh, to me, to me, but I wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So, so what? So what we're trying to understand. 
Okay, so what we're trying to do though is, I, I, just so you, it makes better sense to you, is I want to we want to take like particular words that we find in the Bible that we find are really really important, like a word like propitiation or the word like sin or salvation or these kinds of things, and, and things say, that people don't understand, and, 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 or the and, things that and, God spoke to us. Yeah, and, and they're in the Bible, and they're important words in the Bible. Uh, every, every theologian would would recognize that, and and so what we're trying to do then is say, okay, we understand that there's maybe some old orientation, packing, order, um, meaning of these words, and maybe some of the words, you know, as, as I think you're quoting N.T. Ryden here somewhere, he talks about it being like, uh, you know, packed up and maybe getting moldy or something like that. Um, may, maybe there are things in some of those words that, you know, needs to get shook, shook loose a little bit. Um, and, and, and so take a word like propitiation or take a word, you know, like judgment. Oh, I, I, I've got, I've given, I think I have 20 words in there. So these are the words that I've done the work on right. right in other words like if you said to me uh what do you think what well, let's 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 learn to speak propitiation from scratch i wouldn't do it in a radio interview i'd do it around a kitchen table with a couple commentaries and actually a copy of the scripture so what word and we what? would sit down and we would wrestle with that i haven't done that work i'm not prepared to do so, that work well, you, you have a chapter time, but... you, have, you have a chapter on sin though so could you do could you just I mean, again for for where we, we want to um you got this new book out um can you just briefly summarize how, how do you do that with the idea of sin so what i did with the idea of sin um first is i actually tried to explain the way that that word changed throughout the uh throughout the scripture that's not the order so, <laughs> do what what was that no i'm laughing go ahead i just it seemed like your order is to first understand the word as it's historically meant right yeah i think i think that what you have to do is understand the way you mean it the way that it has been used particularly in the sacred text and then out of that to sort of do the, the work of reimagining, right, to right. do the work of what I call in the book uh, wordplay or transformation. I'm tracking with you. So, so uh, that word you can see has at least three shifts in the biblical literature, right? So one of a great example is the big shift from the way sin is used in Temple Judaism, where sin is a weight. It's it's not individual. It's communal, right? So when you say like, when you say things like. Um, Donald Trump, and he's he's a person, and he has sin. You're using it in an individualistic way. That would be um, uh, almost unrecognizable in Temple Judaism. When that word's applied, it's applied in a communal sense, and the community would come together because it felt like a weight pressing down on the nation. They would then have the Day of Atonement. Right? So, but, but Eli would come. They would lay the weight. The weight would be lifted. And then over time, that weight would kind of come down again as the community would continue to live in ways outside the law. By the time the New Testament comes along, it has a totally different meaning. The meaning of the word sin in, in popular context was as a debt. So Paul, for example, says the wages of sin is death. If you put Paul in a time machine, send him back, uh, Temple-era temple Jews would be like, what are you talking about? There's no record of that kind of usage of the word then. Jesus even reimagines that word to say, hey, sin, if, if, if sin is something that you can withdraw from some divine account as a debit, maybe you can deposit into it. So Jesus says, for example, uh, you store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Well, in popular imagination, now, mo the modern world, we use it in a whole litany of ways. So, for example, you go into uh, 
an evangelical church and somebody might say, we have a sin problem, but like problem solution language is not biblical language. It's, it's modern language. Or somebody would say, you're, you're sin sick. You have a, you, you're, you're infected. The world is infected with sin, but like clinical language for sin is not a biblical notion. It never appears. Actually, it is. Actually, Jonathan, you, you've just, I mean, I, I'm, I want to, I want to be respectful here, but um, what you've just said about the Bible having different understandings of sin um, is absolutely wrong. Um, you, you are you're, you are missing entire sections of scripture. Um, there, there's not a different understanding of sin from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The um, there there are individual, there are corporate, there are um, there are all these elements. I mean, that's what the whole ceremonial system and the and the Old Testament sacrificial system is all about. It it actually gets at all of these elements. It's it's not. It's not true at all that the Old Testament was only communal and the New Testament was individual or debt or that there was no idea of infection. I mean, Jesus says he came for the sick um, and the physician. I would again. But again, when you see the word sin applied again, I'm, I'm not. I mean, yeah, I guess technically I, I went to seminary, but I don't fancy myself a theologian. What I'm pulling from is is a Gary Anderson's book, Santa History, which is probably the most exhaustive work on sin in the modern world. Right, but you're, you're talking about sin, and you're talking about theology, and you're saying things that are simply not true. Right. They're not, they're not true from your perspective. But again, like, from the just, Bible. To say, just, to say, just to say things like they're not true when, I mean, I don't know if you read my footnotes, but I've, I've exhaustively <laughs> cited everything in there with actual respectable scholars so what you can say is i don't believe that perspective but just to have some sort of cavalier like well it's not true it's like you know there are like people who've devoted their lives to this who would say actually if you look at the literature it is quite true right but and i have the bu- have been cited exhaustively right but i have the, i've got the bible we got god speak and um i I, I I understand you. You've got the Bible, so do they. We all have the Bible. Right. That's, there's but, not there's not an issue with okay. that. Nobody's saying you don't have the Bible. I'm just saying there are people who read the Bible for a living, just like you do, who come away with different perspectives. So no one can At be right though. Day, Jonathan, we have to choose which of those perspectives we agree with. But and which isn't ones our goal? Do not. But isn't our goal to actually find the truth, Jonathan? Well, yeah, that's. That right. I, I, yes, and, I think that. Hold on. I, I want to finish this up. Okay. But I want to get to another topic, too. Commercial break. So, wait, wait. I'm going to let you finish up in two seconds, all right? So, just hold on. Pray for us. Because <laughs> I don't understand anything that's happening right now. <laughs> and I'm trying, Jonathan. I'm trying. All right, we're going to get this. More cross politics when we come back. All right. How important is it to you um, to be involved in your child's education? How important is it to you to um, instill your values in your child? How important is it to you to be a part of something that's a little bit bigger than you? How important is it to you to have your child be a part of something that's just a little bit bigger than them? Everything that I wanted for my children's education, every question I asked, Classical Conversations was the answer. CrossPolitik has a new sponsor. Who, you might be asking? Decree Design. Decree Design is a graphic design and web development company that serves your business by helping you speak clearly through visual representation. Serving 90-plus businesses in logo design, print design, brand strategy, web development, 
and more. Decree Design has a skill and personal touch to customize a package specifically catered to your needs of your business, great or small, and provide personal assistance every step of the way. Whether you're a well-established real estate broker or entrepreneur getting your business off the ground, Decree Design will help your company's visual presence speak clarity and truth. For more information, please visit decreedesign.co or schedule a consultation with Joe at decreedesign.com. Yeah, Joe at decreedesign.com. Hey, and tell them Cross Politics sent you. All right. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. We're doing this. We're doing this. All right, all right. All right, I'm, I'm going to... Tyler, you're making my head hurt. We're going to jump into the <laughs> women in leadership thing, and, and I think this will I think this will actually connect because this is a really practical issue um, that, uh, that, that I think maybe ties some of this together. Um, one of the... Wait, wait, before you... You're okay speaking on this not being a theologian, though, right, Jonathan? <laughs> well, I mean... I just want to make sure. Okay. <laughs> well... I what I what I what I would like to do is I think I think if we have this conversation we should have it in a constructive way. I don't uh, believe it or not coming on this call. My publicist didn't give me the info about it being a women in leadership, so I don't have like notes in front of me. But I'm happy to. That's okay. okay. We don't either. Fair, fair, fair <laughs> enough. We we just hey. got your book and the Bible in front of us. So um, I, I think I think you know we we're all on the same playing field here. Um. So oh. Welcome back to Cross Politics. Share the show. Thank you for joining us. Hit like share, it. like. Second uh, conversation with Jonathan Merritt. Yeah. Or like I call him, you know, best friend is Jay. 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 You know, Jay on the phone. And we're really grateful to have him on the phone. Um, okay. So one of the things that that kind of concerns me, and, and I'm going to want to frame this in terms of women in, in leadership, because I think this maybe is a good a concrete example, is when you frame the way forward as this orientation, disorientation, reorientation, packing, unpacking, repacking, order, disorder, reorder. Um, again, this is, I'm quoting you. It says the bravest and best God speakers move through all state, all three stages. They identify the meaning of the sacred word as they've known it. Then they confront problems with this meaning, both the way it harms themselves and others, as well as the ways their ethnicity, geography, chronology, and blind spots have influenced it. And finally, they muster the courage to reimagine a better and truer way of understanding the holy term. Now, the concern I have is that, um, th- well, it it sounds really Hegelian to me. I'm just going to like pull out a phil- wow. philosophical term. You need to speak wow. God, dude. Uh, this sounds really. I don't understand that word. So, so Hegel um, was the philosopher that that popularized this idea of thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Okay. And so he's and so and he's basically the father of what I would call modern postmodernism and relativism. Now. I know that right before that paragraph I just read, Jonathan says that progressive God speakers, um, sometimes they their postmodern minds question everything, trust nothing, and they end up down a black hole of uncertainty. So I know he's I know you're trying to avoid that, uh, Jonathan. At the same time, I, my my concern, my question is, is I'm not sure if there's a if, if you really have gotten out of that postmodern black hole of uncertainty well you're not but you're not concerned about postmodernism you're concerned about truth so that's the question is not is this postmodern the question is is this true right right? yeah that's that's my concern so So when you say do you have do you have something about that that you think is not true again we should point out there that the people that i'm quoting for are uh, quoting in those three constructions those are not mine okay it's walter brueggemann probably the foremost old testament (laughs) scholar in the English-speaking world, N.T. Wright, which is 
probably the most foremost New Testament scholar in any speaking world of at least the last century, and Richard Rohr, who would be the, probably the foremost mystic in, but, in, but Jesus, Catholic. But Jesus told us not to trust religious leaders. Right. So, I, have so, totally, I totally understand that. That's so, why so, I'm so, coming to this conversation with you with a bit of skepticism. Okay. <laughs> fair, fair as long as we can have some, too. Uh, it didn't sound like that with N.T. Right. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so let's use the— Well, yeah. I'm just saying we, we, we have to say, you, you, so that we're very clear on the people that I'm drawing from, these are not—the words that you're using, those three sets of threes— Sure. Three sets of Got threes, it. Those are not my words. Got it. Those are in the book. They're actually footnoted. They're other people's Fair enough. frameworks that I'm drawing on. Fair enough. So let's use the the idea of, of women um, women pastors. Um, so um, I'm I'm guessing that you would use your understand uh, your understanding of the the permissibility, the legitimacy of women being ordained uh, to preach and teach and rule in the church as an example of reimagining better and truer ways of understanding God's word? Is that is that true? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, well, that's, the books, I mean, when you talk about women in leadership, you're talking about a doctrine. And of course, obviously, when we talk about that doctrine, we're using a lot of sacred words. Right. So... I think as you use those sacred words, you would talk about that, but I don't see those things as, as connected. I would say I believe that the that my view on that is true. I don't. I'm not certain that it's true, but I'm confident that it's true. So, yeah, I'm confident that my view on that is true over and against your view of that. But I'm I I could be wrong. Okay, so so again, I'm just going to read the verse from from Paul. This is just you know, this is the famous famous passage. Says, um, "Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression." So, can you can just I mean walk us through like how um, how do you get from Paul's words to Tim- Timothy in First Timothy two, to um, to thinking that your position is true. Well, I would. I guess I would start in First Timothy two. I would. I would actually read the whole chapter. So I would say, uh, every time you pray, do you lift your hands? I try to a lot of times. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So am I sinning if I pray kneeling next to my bed? No, because there's examples of people praying like Daniel where it was acceptable. Yeah, but this is a New Testament teaching. There are a lot of things Daniel did that I don't do. The Old Testament and the New Testament were God's words to us. They're both God's speech to us. I understand, but he says, therefore, we're talking about we're talking about Timothy here, the same chapter. So sure. if, if you're saying you apply that literally, is eight also literal? Are you sinning if you do not, as a man, lift up your hands when you pray? Or move to verse nine. Do any of your wives, do they spend money on their hairstyles? Do they have a gold ring on their finger? Do they wear pearls? Do they spend money on clothes at nice Yes. Stores. What yeah. would the answer to that be? But Jonathan, the the way that we understand, oh, but what would the answer to that be? The answer would would be that we take all of God's word together, and so the right. f- the fact and, that and in, in some this, parts and in this passage, what you have to wrestle with is, so wait, so eight is cultural. No, and nine is it's cultural, not cultural. But it's not cultural. No, but it's... eleven is universal. No, it's not cultural. 
It's not cultural. Jonathan, yeah. So does your wife wear? Does your wife wear gold? Sometimes, yeah. Um, because well, nah, we don't do sin. that gold. By no. your own we reading, do platinum. That's a sin. And if you cannot tell me from your own hermeneutics why it is that arbitrarily no, no. Let you me tell decide you. to read, for example, verse 11 and 12 literally, but you just don't understand I'll, I'll why you read 8 and 9 no, no. culturally, I'll explain then to you. you actually do have a problem with the Word of God, not me. Okay, I, I like so, how Jonathan's so, turning on us. Good job, right, man. Good yeah, job. Yeah, this is good. Some of that fundy we're, energy. We're fight, laughing, and feasting now. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying if you're going to come at me, don't come at me with sloppy hermeneutics. Okay, do your so, homework. So let me, do, let, me, let me show you my homework. I'm going to show you my work now. This is great. So yeah. all of God's Word, we take it all together, and so we look at a number of examples in scripture where we see, um, I would say Paul is teaching the ordin- right and people and hold people on, will on, say the same on. thing. They'll pull up Junia. They'll pull up Deborah. No, people but will do it. No, there's no, there's, say yes, there's no, what Paul said, and we can go round and round and round. Let me finish, but bro. If you cannot give me the reason for why you take one verse literally and the second breath, Paul barely gets a breath out about gold jewelry and he's talking about women teaching. You're saying, I'll take that one, but I won't take the other one. If you cannot explain to me why that is, why he's speaking culturally a second before, and now all of a sudden it's universal, are you, you really have a serious problem. No, no, no. I, I hear that. I hear you. And I, I appreciate, I think that there probably are some people who thoughtlessly walk through this text and do exactly what you're ta- you're talking about. No, my, but my problem is I think you've thoughtlessly Hold on. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> Jonathan. You cannot talk. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Wait, Jay, 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 Jay. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, listen, Jay, I don't have I could do this all day, too. I don't have a problem. I could talk all like this, too. This is not a problem for me. I'll do this, too. You know What's wrong with you, people? I got the mic. I can control it. But here, listen, I'm going to let you talk in a second. But listen, this is what we're going to try and do, because this is a good conversation. I'm enjoying you. I'm enjoying what you have to say, and I want to hear you. But would you do me the favor of at least letting Pastor Toby finish his sentences? All right, and then after that, I'll let you jump in. But right now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to play referee for a second. Let me obviously this ain't working. Let me frame it. Let me frame it, and then and then I'm I'm gonna frame it, and then Jonathan, I'm going to give you opportunity to respond. So let let me let me do that. Um, the the point that I'm making is that you're absolutely right. You should not walk through a text and just and just cherry pick verses you like and verses you don't like things that are culturally accessible and things that are culturally antagonistic i i I agree with your point my point though is as you walk through the whole bible we know that god values jewelry on women it's clear ezekiel 16 song of songs we got we got but we so what we know is what what Paul's literal meaning of the text is, is don't take, don't, don't be, um, don't be um, putting on your swag. Don't be putting on your bling as if that, that makes you a Christian woman, as if your riches, your power, your glory, um, that, doing that in pride and in a fleshly way. Um, Peter does the same thing in first Peter three. We also have the same thing we can do with um, a postures in prayer. We know lifting holy hands is a, a biblical posture. I would say, I would go further and say that, that, that I think I think Paul is um, exhorting men who lead in worship in the church in the church to lift holy hands. And so, you know what I do when I lift when I lead my congregation in prayer, I lift my hands in obedience to this command. Um, that's taking it literally. That's taking the instructions to how to adorn yourself for women literally. And then when I get to the point where he says, and I don't allow women to teach and have authority over men, I take it in the same exact way, not having other examples in scripture at all of a female priest, of a female um, pastor, of a female elder, 
I have no examples of that anywhere in Scripture, whereas in the other two instances that you bring up, adornment of, of female bodies and the way that postures of prayer, I have tons of biblical data that fills that out, that tells me exactly yeah, what yeah, Paul but means. That's, but the problem is, the problem is, and of course, uh, if you were in a, one of my seminary classes, they'd give you a big fat F because you don't understand, or at least you don't seem to understand the difference between descriptive and prescriptive texts. So simply saying that oh, there was a woman who wore jewelry in the face that a descriptive text that's not commanded for women to wear jewelry in the face of a prescriptive text, particularly in the New Testament, would again be really bad hermeneutics. So just saying like, oh, yeah, there was a woman in the Old Testament who happened to wear this. I mean, look, there's a lot of things that happened in the Old Testament descriptively that we have prescriptive exhortations in the New Testament that turn those things on their head. It's just a really sloppy way of trying to interpret the text. So Jonathan, do you, you let... still have not you still have not explained to me why it is you you culturally interpret something 2 seconds before you literally apply the next verse. I, I didn't and do that. I, that wasn't that wasn't a cultural is, that wasn't a cultural summary. It's not a cultural thing at all, Jonathan. To, to say that um, it, it's the fact of the matter is yes, okay, there is a he difference names, between he prescriptive names three and descriptive. There he says women should not wear gold should not wear pearls women should not wear expensive clothes so but sloppy hermeneutics is not interpreting scripture with scripture that is one of the basic hermeneutics is interpreting interpreting scripture with scripture and that's why what toby's point was you got to go and get data from other texts of the scriptures and be able to round that text out but if you're if the best thing you've got for me that's like saying well, well, uh, well, you, you, you know, you should be faithful to your wife, and I say, yeah, but Solomon had uh, four hundred concubines. Yeah, right. Now, but- now you're not. <laughs> it's yeah. messy, and it's like it's like actually, I'm trying to, I'm trying to. Like, it's just not actually good hermeneutics. Like I don't know how to say okay. that so, so, wait, wait, in wait, any wait, other way, but wait, saying wait, wait. unless you can show me a prescriptive text. Well, no, okay. no, no. How about wait, wait. How about you show me? No, no, no. That, you show me a prescriptive text that says that women should be in a way that conforms to it. You show, know, uh, evangelicals in particular, conservative Presbyterians will start by saying, "What is the plain meaning of the text?" Jonathan. The plain meaning of the text there is pretty simple, Jonathan. but why is it that you're not Jonathan. choosing not to conform your lives around 8 and 9, but you are when you get down to verse 11? That's okay. a fair, so, valid okay. question. David, ask the All question. Right. Hey, uh, ask the question. Ask Jonathan, the question. Could you, can you give me a prescriptive text where women should be elders and teachers? Well, again, I... Uh, I, I, I there I isn't one. I Do what? You yeah. just said we need a prescriptive text. Where is it, Jonathan? Well, no, because I don't actually believe that that's a prescriptive text saying that women should. No, give me. Give me a But you said text. we need a prescriptive text. Where's the that prescriptive test? Because you're applying, because you're applying that universally, you're going to have to show me why you don't apply the others universally. I apply all of them culturally. We just we just explain how we apply think, it universally. I think there's no there's no issue with pearls. There's no issue with expensive hair. There's no ex- ex- issue with clothes. You don't have to raise your hands. And I think Paul was saying again something cultural there about he said I but, he doesn't permit a woman to teach. Okay. And I say, yeah, all of that seems right. It seems like he was making some decisions based on the the situation, the seats in Laban in the church. I think Paul was doing all of that culturally. I don't have to come up with something else because I don't think that it was prescriptive there at all. So so you would have a very cultural thing that Paul was saying something for the sake of the gospel. 
can you, in that church. Can you give us an example? Can you give us an example? So let's for for a second. Let me put on your interpretation of the text and say, okay, it's a cultural, it was a pastoral wisdom call. Let's just say, you know, based on the situation Paul was in, that means that that would tell me then that it would be perfectly uh, reasonable and acceptable for a pastor to make a similar kind of pastoral wisdom call um, about some other class of persons in his church. Right. Uh, other, so, so he did it with women in this particular section. Give us an example, Jonathan, of, a, of another wise pastoral call of not permitting a certain class of people in the church to be uh, rulers and elders. Yeah, you would, well, you wouldn't actually have that today because actually today it would be the opposite. You see, the way that Paul frames it at the beginning of of uh, chapter two there is he's making sort of a pragmatic argument. He's saying he's doing all these things so that we would live peaceful and quiet lives, that we that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul's doing there is saying, look, there's some things that we have to do as this in, within this culture to make peace, not to unnecessarily kind of upset right, right, the apple right. cart in your community. So today, if you restrict a woman from speaking, it actually is the inhibition to the gospel. So, so, so actually the application point would be to do what Paul did then, if you did that now, would be the opposite of what Paul right. did then. Okay. Of course, that, the scripture says it's the spirit of the law, not the letter that gives life, right? right? So, so what is the spirit of that law? The spirit of the law is that the gospel would go forward and that we wouldn't do anything unnecessarily to upset our witness in the community. So, so this is, that's a today, good point. If you were, today, if you were to restrict any people group, it would absolutely compromise the witness of the gospel. Well, unless there's an oppressor like white people who will keep oppressing people, right? And they keep they keep being the leaders. They're, they're obviously right now, the Gospel Coalition is saying we need to raise up more black leaders. So what if we actually suppress white men from teaching in our church so that we would not ruin our witness and we would have a good cultural gospel representation? Give them special pews. They sit well, listen, I'd be ha- I, li- li- listening to most of the of the white men I hear preaching on television these days. I'd be happy if you had made them sit down. So, but you wouldn't have so a problem with street- an argument for me on that one. So you wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I kind of agree with you too. I know. But, but, shoot, you, but shoot. You, you wouldn't have a problem restricting white men. white white men from preaching then. For the help, for the goal of yeah, supporting but, well, you're, if you if if you were to fall in line with that, what you'd have to ask is you'd have to ask the question is is whether the gospel would be able to penetrate our culture any more effectively if you did that. And sure. if I believe white people that feel, black people that, feel safe, black people would feel safer. If I believed, if I believed that 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 prohibiting white men from preaching would actually make the gospel go forward, would help the gospel penetrate the 21st century postmodern post-Christian culture, I'd say, yeah, have them sit down. I'll be the first to join them on the pew. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, I, I, I am glad that we had Jonathan Merritt on the show. So now, black people, rise up. The white man has now been dethroned in America. Oh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the Absolutely, show, Jonathan. Jonathan. Um, I have to say I am more confused now than I was before. Um, and I, I, I Believe it or not, listen, I don't actually know how that could be true. Uh, well, we tried. We tried. There's some fighting. You know, there was some fighting in that show. So I here, like that. Right now. I like it when our guests fight back. We're almost yeah. done with cross politic. So it'd be a good time to just like let all the comments flow that you can get in yeah. before the next three minutes. Whoa. Because I like to read them. I like to know what you're saying right now. Hey, what do I, you think? I, I, uh, uh, 
Uh, so um, you know he he knows how to play this game. Oh yeah, yeah. you know I mean he's he's, he's a pro. He's, he's a pro. done an interview oh, yeah. or two. He's a pro, yeah, and he's, he he's knew that um, you know what's what's the what's the what's the, the joke you know from the old uh, the old preacher you when know you, <laughs> in the manuscript it says you know point, Pal, weak argument pound this here argument <laughs> yeah. yell yell here yeah. uh, keep talking here um, yeah oh man um, the muddle is, is deep. Well, here's it's a- deep muddle, and and I think this is just a more. I mean, we talked to Greg Johnson a few uh, weeks yeah. back uh, about the revoice yeah. thing. Um, I think this is just even more of the same. It's a reflection of the state of the church. Yeah. Um. You know, and he's and he's citing all these theologians, these Bible teachers, and yeah. the fact of the matter is, is he can look. Here's the deal. We are muddled. He's yeah. a, he is a theologian. Oh, yeah. He is a theologian. And don't believe the hype. He's trying to, to say, oh, well, you know, I'm just trying to quote from people who are. You're a theologian. This is exactly what the Reformation was over. Yeah. This is exactly about the, what the right. Reformation was over. Right. We got a new there priesthood. There are some people in some high towers we writing some, books. We got a new priesthood. Yeah, Richard yeah. Rohr and N.T. Wright. That's and right. Walter That's Brueggemann. Right. That's right. Um, who, by the way, don't get your theology from any of them. No. Oof. N.T. No. Wright. No. I mean, Oof. you know, of, of the three, you can find some gems in right, yeah. but he's massively confused. I've never seen anybody do the kind of theological Dancing, twist, twister twisting, yeah. on First yeah. Timothy two. Yeah, and and he, I mean, he actually comes out saying that it actually endorses women pastors. Well, here's the deal: wow. if you're going to play the game that Jay was playing, then you're going to have to get rid of everything. Yeah. Get yeah. rid of pastors. Yeah. Get rid of elders. Get rid of, of right. deacons. If if all of it's just malleable, right? If the whole thing, if women, are, if that doesn't mean anything, and it's just like he takes it. What did he say? He takes it um, culturally. Culturally, he takes right. it culturally. Then we can reimagine culturally. I want Doritos and Coke for communion. Right. That's what I want for communion. Barbecue. Barbecue. I, I want barbecue. I, I and want beer. dog communion. <laughs> They're part of the family. Yeah. They're in. So if you're going to start taking the Bible like that, then not, everything's off yeah. the table. Yeah, the, thing, get- the thing about this is, though, is I think you have people like this who really are, I, I think, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. His dad's a Southern Baptist preacher. He was a he was the president yeah. of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and, and I, I think what he's trying to do, I think what Jonathan is honestly trying to do, is hold together uh, sort of his old school mm-hmm. fundamentalism mm-hmm. and progressivism, yeah. Um, yeah. conservatism and liberalism. He's yep. trying to hold That's it right. together. But he's, you can't have two guys. He's doing <laughs> the splits on a precipice. Yeah. And and here's the thing: you just can't. Yeah. No. We no. we have to just get it down and realize: no, you can't. Um, it it, it doesn't work. He right. is. Um, he, he's on a he's on a train that's taking him somewhere else, yep. yeah. and um, mm-hmm. he is um, right now still claiming to want to. You know, he said, "I'm still evangelical. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Bible." Yeah. Um, in in a, in ten years, he's not. No, well, yeah. he's not now. He's just yeah. not seeing. Yeah. He, he's trying to he's trying to hold it, so, uh, but he's absolutely not. So much of this for me was really easy. I, I thought about two examples. I, I I think I told you guys about this. One was if this is an issue, if, if people are having a problem understanding. Um, a god. Why don't we do it like the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Why don't we just come alongside the no. Ethiopian eunuch and say, "Hey, do you understand what you're reading?" Or right. if you're not under- and teach, and that's actually what's built into discipleship is right. teaching people. Well, well and, the, and the flip side of it is, and I didn't get a chance to say this and ask this to Jonathan. Really, but, you were talking a whole lot. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, and Paul have constantly have people who don't understand what they're talking about, yeah. who misunderstand what they mean, That's right. who are offended by it. And Jesus be like, so what? And they leave, <laughs> and Jesus says, success. Yeah, that's right. They're not bothered by it. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would say central to understanding how to speak God is learning how to not be that bothered by the fact that people, when you say what the Bible says, and you know, what happened was the disciples would follow after Jesus and say, now, Jesus, what did you mean? Yeah. And then Jesus would quote scripture to them and explain it to them. Yeah. Part of this to remind, I was thinking about like hip hop doesn't do this. Hip hop culture you know, rap culture, they don't do this. They started out, when hip-hop and rap started out, they weren't trying to pander to anybody, right? right. They just was doing them, and this is the culture, this is who we yes, are, yes. right? And everybody came rushing in to see what they were about. They didn't understand what those rappers were saying. Right. And then when they started saying, hey, you know, we don't really understand what you're saying, what they didn't do was say, oh, well, let's slow it down and make it a song. What they did <laughs> yeah. was start rapping faster. Bone <laughs> harmony. You got a whole yeah. twister, everybody started rapping faster. And yeah. then they said, man, we really don't understand what the rappers are saying now, is mumble rap. Yeah. Not only are they rapping, they're rapping faster and they're mumbling. Yeah. And you know what? They haven't stopped to explain themselves to nobody. They just right. doing who they are. Right. And everybody's flocking to them. I'm like, why is all of a sudden we're doing this with God's word right. on the foundation? This right. is God's word. Right. Because it- we think God needs help. <laughs> Ooh, God, yeah. God needs yeah. our help. But yeah. that's the problem. He said that he believes in the inspiration of scripture. It's the word of God and so forth. But this is the deal. Yeah. God's word don't need our help. Yeah. God's, yeah. God's word doesn't return void. God's not up there in heaven wringing his hands, wishing that... I should have said that better. That, yeah, I, that hope, had, I hope Toby... That he had said it better. Uh, God's word is, is completely sufficient. Yeah. He spoke his word knowing about 2018 America. Are you sure? He spoke his word knowing yeah. the yeah about Trump's presidency. He spoke his word knowing about it all, and he says, this is what you need. Every word of God is pure gold. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm going to go get some aspirin because we don't have none here. (laughs) I hope you guys have used all your aspirin. Pray for for Chuck Knox. Pray for me and pray for Jay, too. He needs some. Um, Uh, Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. I just think a surge, like a back rub would be good. <laughs> so. <laughs> Don't look at me. I, no, no, no. I, are you Greg Johnson? <laughs> call, call your wife or sick, something. Sick. <laughs> um.